and we're live. I am with the beautiful Brianne Coleman, and she is coming <laughs> to share her story <laughs> of surviving of surviving abuse. No, it's not a funny topic. It's just we talked beforehand about the glare on glasses. I got it on mine, and she's got it on hers. <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I take mine off and she's like a little blob, but a cute little blob in her, her pocket pants. pocket pants. <laughs> now, just so everyone's aware, we have a really great relationship. I was very honored to meet her. It's been five, six years now. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. So sometime, a hot minute that we've known each other and it's just been a wonderful and blossomed friendship since we met and hearing her story. I'm going to try not to cry this time around, but I, I do every time. I'm going to try not to. But if you have any comments, please go ahead and let her know if it questions or so on. Or even after the broadcast, you are more than welcome to go ahead and um, send us a message. I do have her information that you'll see on the screen. It's also in the comments section. So if you want to get in touch with her or see her very powerful YouTube, which we can touch on in a little bit. But Brianne, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Melinda. Um, hey, everyone, whoever's watching or will watch uh, in the future, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I, I usually start off my story kind of going at the beginning of time and, you know, kind of working my way through. But I think I'm going to start it a little different this time. Um, so I'll kind of give you a, a where I am today uh, kind of perspective. Um, I've done this before, if you've ever followed uh, or if you followed uh, the past with Melinda, she's done my story. I think it was last year or the year before. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, the stories are going to change every time. Um, and I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to share the same story because the place I am in my life, I want to pull myself a little bit out of that state of victimhood that I've lived in for so long, so effortlessly. Now I want to kind of put it from a, just definitely bring the survivor perspective at the forefront and really talk about how it is that we can process some of those prior experiences. And yes, of course, I'll talk about some of the things I've been through. Um, but I feel like there's power in seeing resilience, um, you know, at the forefront. Um, people need to know that you can come out of this and get to the other side. So I, I want to kind of more lean on that. So this last year has been super interesting to me um, for a variety of reasons. I really started my life completely over uh, earlier this year when I moved to Chicago, uh, right on the lakefront. Uh, Melinda has been here to my place. It is gorgeous. And um, I have this beautiful lake view. I could just literally look out my window and see it. It's dark right now, so I don't hear much, but I can hear the waves, um, which is always so delightful. But there was something that happened that got me here, um, that got me into a place where I needed to move. Um, you know, you go through this journey of healing and, and you get to this place that is so, you feel joy, right? And you feel this excitement and zest for life again. And, and it, I mean, God, it feels amazing. And then something terrible happens that can completely shift that. And I had been on this journey to survivorship and this spiritual journey um, since 2020. And so it was quite a surprise to me at the end of last year um, when I was out at a bar with friends and uh, met a guy and he, I believe he drugged, uh, drugged my drink and then drove me home to my, to my home. 
uh, where he proceeded to sexually assault me. And it was <clears throat> in that moment, all of my joy was stripped away. And when you are left to just be bare bones, right. And, and just to be living in that moment, you can't help but feel everything. And, you know, I, when I told my story last year, I was talking about how great of a place I was in. And it was literally like a month before this happened. And I, you know, I can reflect back on those things and see just such the significant difference. And, you know, it, 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 it made me raw. And I realized through all of this surviving that I was doing, I, I was, I was rationalizing and making sense of all of the experiences and putting the blame on the people who it belonged with. But the one thing that I wasn't doing was feeling the fullness of the emotions. Mm. And so when I was sexually assaulted, I, my default reaction was to hurry up, compartmentalize it, put it in a box, deal with it later. Right. Cause life has to go on. Um, but it, it, my box couldn't hold anything else. Mm. And so it just exploded with all of this, gush and pain and trauma and challenges and questionable behaviors and attitudes, like everything that I have experienced in my entire life, bam, was up and out there so loud. And I had to sit with it. I really had to just sit in those emotions and feel the fullness of it. I will say, and I said this last year, and I say this to you, Melinda, all the time, I feel really, really lucky for where I work, right? Like I have the best job. And one of the things that makes it so great is that my boss and my HR department with love told me like, you need to go and take time off so you can feel the fullness of your emotions. In order for you to get through this, you need to feel the emotions, go home, sit with it, process it, do what you need to do. And they really gave me like pretty much the month of December off. And I can tell you that it just created this, first of all, safety for me, right? Knowing that my job knew what I needed, even when I knew I would resist it. And that created a safe space at my job for me that was just, again, affirmed after, you know, prior beautiful experiences I've had at my job, right? So it just reaffirmed so much for me. But it also kind of put me in a position where it's like, okay, I, I need to really work through this stuff. So I spent a lot of time this year in, in 2023, really choosing myself and thinking about ways that I could continue to build safety and stability in my life. And, um, you know, that started with like setting boundaries with my children, you know, and you know, in places where I didn't feel safe or healthy, I would cut those ties, um, you know, and it, 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 it impacted a lot of people really close to me, but I knew that this is what I needed to get to where I, I needed to go. Right. I, you know, like I said, before November 26 last year, I knew what joy felt like and I felt it often. After November 26, that joy was just gone. So I had to do something or there was not going to be a happy ending for me. And I, I've gone through way too much to not have a happy ending at the end of this. So no, <laughs> that is the goal. Um, so uh, some things happened, um, you know, things within my family happened. Um, and 
before I knew it, I was living in my home alone, which triggered so much stuff for me because the assault happened in my home that I just never felt safe there. You know, I had repainted the room. Mel had gotten me a gift, you know, to hang in my room. And, you know, I had everything that I needed to kind of make the room look different, but it still was the same room. Like, you know, you, <laughs> you, you can, you know, paint a dog, you know, black, but it's still white underneath, you know, right. or paint a white dog black, but he's still white underneath. Like you can't change the color or the experience of what's been there. And I could not. So um, I made a decision to move out and I had been, now here's what's crazy, right? So this is where I'm going to kind of spin it a little bit. Um, 2006, I started working downtown Chicago and I felt so fancy working downtown Chicago, right? Like, oh my God, I made it. And I always said that I'll know I really made it if I could live in like a high rise building with a view of the lake in Chicago. And this was in 2006 because some of my colleagues like worked, you know, lived in like high rises in Chicago. I'm like, oh my God, they're so fancy. I want to be fancy too, you know? And so it was so interesting, you know, how I landed on this apartment. So First of all, I, I, I want to reflect back just a little bit because I want to talk about the rape because I don't want to I don't want to just kind of skim past it because I know that when one person shares their story, there's value. And so I would hope that me sharing my story would um, inspire someone else to share theirs down the road mm -hmm. or to speak to police if, you know, um, if, if it, something's happened recently where they're afraid this is why I do what I do. Um, so I want to go into details a little bit about that. Um, like I said, it was uh, the day after Thanksgiving. So it was Black Friday. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, it was uh, Black Friday and I went out with some friends to Sheffield's in Maryville and we were having a great time. This guy that had messaged me probably like maybe a week or two prior. I don't, not really sure how long we had been chatting. Um, he had seen my Kendra G interview um, where I was like on a single show and, you know, I was being my very bubbly, transparent self. Uh, you can find that on YouTube if you want to see it, but you'll see again, the joy that I exhibited then. And then just how quickly that changed. Um, so anyway, uh, he saw my video was like, Hey, you know, I'd like to meet you, take you out or whatever. And I was like, well, I'd like to get, a, you know, to know you a little bit more. And, and he wasn't very forthcoming with, information about himself. He was 50 years old, a dad of two daughters, you know, blah, I don't remember what else he said, but that's what the few things that he said. And I, and I was like, well, that's like, I want to know more. And he's like, well, isn't that what dates are for? And I was like, well, I guess, you know, he's 50 years old. So I was like, I can understand like that. Okay. Fair. So we didn't really chat too much. We'd have like, I think just really basic small talk, if at all. I don't really remember. And then the night that I was out, I had posted that I was out with my friends and he's like, let me come meet you out. I'm like, cool. So he was told me he was on his way. I had gone into the bathroom and when I came out, he was sitting on the bench and I was like, all right, cool. And I remember like just giving him a hug, but I remember thinking to myself, he's not really my type. And Melinda knows I have a type. And he, <laughs> he definitely was not my type. So, but I was like, I'll enjoy a drink with him anyway. He drove all the way out here. Let's, you know, have a good time. So we sit down at the bar to have one drink. I remember telling the bartender that I wanted a tequila sunrise. And then I don't remember anything after that. 
I remember being in my truck, in the driver's side of my truck in the parking lot, and him being outside on the passenger side of my truck, and I was throwing out, uh, throwing up outside, like leaning over, throwing up outside of my truck. And then I tried to get out of the truck, and he says, no, don't get out on that side. You're going to mess up your pretty shoes. And he helped pull me through the car, through the truck, shut my door. I don't remember getting in his car. I don't remember what his car looked like. I don't remember giving him my address. So I don't know if he got in my purse and got my address. I have no idea. Um, and then the next thing I remember is trying to unlock my front door. But I couldn't even stand up straight. And it, I, I know I was struggling because I remember the struggle like of trying to figure it all out and trying to stand up and hold myself together. Mm. I got in the house. I told him I thought I was going to throw up. And um, the next thing he asked me is, where's my Zen room? And my Zen room is that meditation space that I had built myself to be a safe space. And um, the next thing I remember is waking up at 2.41 a.m. with no clothes on and him saying, are you going to see me out? And I was so confused. I was like, what? Like, what, what is happening? And I'm like realizing I have no clothes on. And I'm like, okay. So I put on a robe and I just follow him, follow behind him to the front door. He doesn't say goodbye. There was no hug. It was very awkward. And, but I was so like disoriented that I couldn't really process exactly what was happening. So I just got right back in my bed and went back to sleep. The next morning I woke up and uh, it was early and I felt different. I felt like something happened. And um, so I'm just sitting there and I, I texted him first thing. I'm like, whatever happened last night, like wasn't a good idea. Let's pretend like that didn't happen. Cause that was the first thing. And I had no concept that of like, I don't, I don't know. Like I knew I woke up naked. So I made the assumption that something happened. Right. And then, um, so then justice, my son gets up and he comes in there and he's like, whoever you had here was in the shower for 20 minutes. Wow. And I was like, he was like in my shower. So we have separate bathrooms. I'm like in your shower. And he was like, yeah, I'm like, why the fuck would he be taking a shower? And Justice is like, I don't know, but I walked down the hallway and I saw he was in my bathroom. You were in your bedroom already in your bed and his clothes were on a pile in your Zen room. Mm. And I was like, oh, fuck. And he goes, so I made sure like I went in the kitchen and when he got out of the shower, I made sure I like, you know, banged, like shut cabinet doors hard. So he knew somebody else was there. I assume that's why he woke me up is because it would have been weird him just walking out of the house without like an escort. Like it would have been weird and maybe he would have been questioned. So I'm kind I'm it's twofold because I hate that my son was there even at all. But more than that, I'm grateful that he was there because that may have saved me from being hurt. So I will always hold that like justice making his presence be known. Maybe he had other intentions to harm me or right. something. So I will take that that justice did what he did. So then I'm like, well, that was weird. So then I got up to go to the bathroom that morning out of my bed and I, my bathroom was in my bedroom and there was a, a washcloth and body wash <sighs> on my uh, sink. And I was like, I don't use body wash to wash my private parts. So I was like, mm, that's not something I would do. So then it started making me process and think through like, did he wash me? Then I got up to go get coffee a little while longer, a little while later, and my both my Zen room curtains and my living room curtains were all closed. And I never closed the curtains in my house. Anyone will tell you 
I, I just don't, especially in my Zen room, because I want all that natural light coming in at all times. So it was, it, it just reaffirmed that he violated me. So then I called a friend to pick me up to get my truck. And when I got there, the pile of throw up from the night before was still outside my door mm. and it triggered a memory. And I remembered him putting his penis in my mouth. And then the whole way home, I was just sitting with that, just kind of feeling very disheveled, like, oh my God, like, oh my God, this happened. But it was hard for me to rationalize because I didn't have a, a I don't have a memory of it. Right. Like I had like a little flashback, but am I making this up in my head? Is this like not real? You know, like you question all of life when right. this happens. And um, so I went home and I was on the phone with my daughter and it just kind of came out. I was like, oh my God, I was raped. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I said it out loud, she of course panicked. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta process this. She calls my mom. My mom calls me like, are you okay? And I'm like, I have no idea. So later on that evening, I went to go to rape kit, uh, which on its own can be very traumatizing. I'm super grateful for, um, the same nurse, uh, at, uh, North Lake Methodist. She was so kind and so considerate and compassionate. Um, you know, and then I had a, a rape a rape advocate come from uh, Fairhaven Rape Crisis Center, which again, it was so nice to have somebody else there. And then I had my best friend Maggie with me too. So I had a support system there. Um, we got through that, but it was, it's dehuman, you know, it's de, what's the word? Dehumanizing. Humanizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does take so much away from you. Um, so it just was hard. Um, and it took me a few days to decide if I was going to call the police. You know, because I still, even now, and it's been, I mean, 10 months late, right? 10 months later, yeah. I'm still sitting in a place of questioning, does this actually happen? Like, it is hard to process, especially when you don't have active memories of it. So and, but let me interrupt you. And, and the thing is, is you felt safe because you had friends with you. You're out with your girlfriends. And they, if you don't mind me, because I know part of the story is what did they see? So because Sheffield's has two sides, so it has a side where it's like lots of like bar seating and, you know, pool tables. And then you got the other side where it's more of like the chill vibe, you know, just smaller tables, whatever. So they were on one side. I was on the other. Apparently I told, I went to them and asked, told them that I was going to get food. And I don't remember, I don't remember that at all, but they said that I did. And they questioned whether or not it was, they're like, are you sure? He was kind of standing off to the side, wasn't like right next to me, which they thought was kind of weird too, um, in hindsight. But I, and then he drove me home and I texted him when I got home, but I don't remember any of this. So, you know, even if, you know, like I was just way too intoxicated you know, it doesn't matter if you're way too intoxicated. If you can't say that you consent, you've been violated. Like it's, and, no, and that's the part that I'm, I, I'm trying to get to the place of acceptance. Like, even if this happened, I don't have recollection of it, which means that I could not have possibly giving, given him like informed consent. Right. And so I have to remember that, that I was violated. You know, I also recognize that you know, the system isn't designed for me to see justice in this regard. And so, you know, that's something else that I have to process. Now, that's not by no means, you know, a deterrent for someone to report it. 
because my reporting is going to give somebody else, if this happens to them, their story more credibility. It creates a trail and it creates history. So even if you don't get justice for your situation or you're afraid you're not going to get justice, sharing that story is going to help to build a case of somebody else is seeking the same thing that you are. So I always like want to hold on to that, how important it is to report these things, even if you know or think you won't get that closure. There's value in doing that. And it is empowering because you're still using your voice. So please don't let that be a deterrent as to why you wouldn't report something like that. Um, you know, and if if anybody who's watching this now or in the future, um, you know, Melinda will share my information. If you need somebody to go with you to report or you want to talk to somebody about reporting, I'm absolutely here to support any of you. And I know Melinda would be the same way. Um, so I just wanted to kind of touch on that. So uh, I will I'll tell you a couple facts that I know. Uh, it took Indiana six months to test my rape kit, which is completely unacceptable um, because in that time he could have assaulted how many people? Um, right. And uh, and then because he washed me, it was only a partial sample, so not enough to do a profile. So and now it really becomes his word against my word. Uh, and I'm not sure that the prosecutor is going to want to prosecute. So I'm still, again, trying to accept that that is a possibility. Um, and it's scary, but it's it's not going to deter me from from doing what I'm doing by sharing my story and talking about my experiences. So, uh, you know, just, yeah, yeah, that, right? Like, it's a lot, you know, and, and I will say I've come a long way because I don't cry when I talk about these things anymore. Like, that's me coming to a true place of survivorship when you can, you know, the emotions are easier to control. I'm really proud of myself with this whole, <laughs> this whole rape thing. Cause it is so fresh. Um, but I will tell you, I've been in EMDR therapy um, since the beginning of the summer and I had some hiccups. It's difficult. It's not easy, but it works. Oh, can you explain uh, if somebody doesn't know what that is? Yeah. Do you share what that is? Yeah. So EMDR therapy uh, stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it's a trauma based therapy. So it really helps you use either eye movements or tapping to process uh, visions and visuals and emotions. And what it does, it's like a, it's like a re reprogramming of your neural pathways. So the things that, um, you know, like if you have like a negative belief attached to an experience or an image, you re you continue to process all of the feelings, both mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever you feel in your body and your spirit, you process through that until until the belief can be can be uh, like exchanged for this positive belief that you said at the beginning. It's it's truly re truly remarkable. If you do some research on it, it's very clinical. Um, but you can find some layman's terms stuff if you look for it. It's really 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 impactful, but it does not work for everyone. Um, I've talked to people who it's been super successful for, and I've talked to other people who it's been really, really difficult for. Um, I'm finding tremendous value in it, um, but only go this route if you're really ready to process through a lot of difficult stuff. And I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I am. I That scares me to even think about trying. But as you mentioned, that maybe it doesn't work for some people. There are so mm -hmm. many other different healing modalities oh, yeah. out there to, to yeah. try, too. And I'm not just doing EMDR therapy. I do talk therapy too. So I see my regular therapist on Tuesdays. I see my EMDR therapist on Fridays. 
you know, and the two of them work hand in hand. You know, I still do my, my, I need to get back into doing my spiritual work like I was before. Um, but you know, it's, it's a process. Good thing about EMDR is that it, it, it really forces you to like go deep. Um, and for me, I found so much value in that. I, you know, I always questioned how I lived in this, you know, 43 year long cycle of violence. Um, and, uh, you know, it stemmed from, you know, being molested as a child and, and my mom not showing up in the way that I needed her to when I was little. Um, but it really all centered around disappointment. You know, I've, I've been in a state of disappointment my entire life. And you can't feel true joy when you're constantly disappointed. You can't feel happiness when you're constantly disappointed. And when that disappointment comes from every person that you put love and trust in, it does something that completely skews your psyche, skews the way you develop, skews the way you see things and people and yourself. Um, and when you're disappointed over and over again, eventually that wears on you to the point where you're, you believe that you're not worthy of greater things or things that bring you joy and bring you happiness. And for a long time, I've lived like that. It's become so easy to live and for me in a state of victimhood because the cycles lasted so long and it's been on this like forever, like, like hamster wheel just never stopped. And so now I'm getting to the bottom of all of the things that you not just understanding how my cycle of violence started from, you know, that like not protective factors being developed like guilt, intuition, and trust. Right. right. For the, the few years ago when I had this spiritual like awakening that's what came up was like, oh my God, like I was four when I was molested and I didn't develop guilt, intuition, and trust because I didn't get the things that I needed to overcome that, that traumatic event. Um, and so I, I, I focused so much on that. One thing I forgot to focus on is the disappointment that I felt underneath from the people who were supposed to su like support me and, and, and pull me through these challenging things. So not only did I not develop those protective factors, but I felt such an overwhelming sense of disappointment that when bad things happened the rest of my life, and I'll run through them really briefly, you know, molested at four, um, you know, raped at 17, you know, uh, carjacked twice at 19 and 20, you know, um, in, an, in an abusive relationship when I was 22 for two years. And then you know, being a single parent to two kids that you're trying to figure out how to do, that's traumatic all by itself, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, escaping an abusive relationship, that was years of struggle afterward. And then thinking I find my Prince Charming and my husband, who then turns out to be almost worse than all of the other people combined, mm. you know, and then living in that for six years, um, and that was hell. And, you know, the thing that, and I, I let, I, Ooh, boy, I convinced myself that I was living in like this fairy tale land with him. Like, like, Oh, and I look at the post in my memories on Facebook. And sometimes I am so disgusted with myself because I was lying. Like I wasn't being honest. Like I, I was going through hell every single day in my marriage. My husband accused me of cheating every single day. He controlled everything that I did. I couldn't go to lunch with a colleague unless I could prove that it was a woman, you know? Um, and if it was a guy, he better be gay. 
Like that was the outlandish ways in which he thought I'm like, you know, that's not going to stop me from doing whatever it is that I want to do if I'm going to do it. But it, right. like he, he just couldn't ever like see, I couldn't go to my cousin's house, my mom's house. I couldn't go to the hair salon, nail salon. Listen, if you're going to stalk me on all of my appointments, the least you could do is pay for them. And he didn't do that. Like, you just fucked me. I was like, dude, make it worth my while at least. Like pay the bill. But no, I got to use my paycheck. I'm like, you can't be a, a controller and like make me spend my money. So, you know, it was like that. And then, um, and then St. Jude House, you know, I love my St. Jude House. Um, they asked me to come and speak in 2015 for the first secretary event. And my ex-husband called me a whore and we got into an argument. We separated. He got lost under the McCormick place. And when he found me, he dragged me to our hotel room and gave me a concussion. And that was the first time he ever hit me. The only time he hit me during our marriage, but it turned into physical abuse. And I was like, okay, yep. I need to create a plan to get out of here. And it took a couple of years, but I figured it out. And, you know, I got my credit together and I just devised a plan as thoughtful as I could. And I executed quickly, <laughs> like a thief in the night. He didn't even see it coming. It was great. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I did that to, to claim some of my survivorship back. And like I said, I was doing really, really good up until the assault. Um, and that just kind of flipped it all back upside down. And it was like all that it felt like in the moment, all the progress that I made you know, from 2020 to 2022, when I was assaulted, it was like all that progress was moot in that moment. It felt like that, you know, when that box exploded, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? And it was too much, but it forced me to confront all of those things and not just partial pieces of those things. You know, I, um, I am so grateful for the support that I've had since then. Uh, both from my job, uh, my therapist, Kate, and then my my EMDR therapist, Gretchen, like the support that I've gotten from them, plus my friends, right? My Melinda's and my Manda's and my Shana's and Maggie's and all the people who matter to me. Um, I don't know how I got here. Like, I really don't. So I'm just grateful. And so I, I share all of that stuff to say, you can go through a lifetime of craziness but when you're ready, you can find like the journey. You can really like healing will find you. The door will open up and you'll be like, ah, and you'll get a taste of it. And then you're going to chase it because it feels so good. I can tell you that Melinda chased it a little bit. I've chased it, you know, because that like surviving feels so good when you know that you're doing it. Yeah. It's like an adrenaline rush of the best kind. And it's scary. Yes. But it's, it's the outcome that I always want us to focus on. Leaving is always the hardest part, right? That, right? that is the hardest part. And I always say people leave when the fear of staying is greater than the fear of leaving. Yep. And it's, it's true, right? And right. so, uh, you know, get there. If you can just get yourself out the door, just, you'll, just give yourself just a little bit of time and then you'll taste that that joy and, and you'll feel it and that you'll get that adrenaline rush because it'll feel real and you'll feel safe for the first time and forever, however long it's been, you'll feel safe. And then that it just, it's, it's magical when you can get that. And then you're going to want to like, I don't want you to have to keep on surviving things, right? Like don't get it twisted. Like I don't want that, but chasing that survivorship is an adrenaline rush. 
chase it. You can chase it after leaving one bad situation. You can continue to chase it for the rest of your life just by pushing yourself to the next level. That's surviving. You can go from, I made it out to, I made it out and now I have this. To made, I made it out and now I have this and now I have a house. To I made it out to having this, to having a house, now to have a job. You know, and like, that's how you can continue to um, embrace that survivorship and chase it is by continuing to impress yourself and continuing to grow into the person that you know you're meant to be, right? We we don't know who that is. Sometimes the universe, you know, like like exposes us to it. Like, look, this is what you're supposed to be doing in your life. <laughs> and then other times, it's not so easy to find. Um, but there's there's a path forward, and there's always something beautiful on the other side. I promise. It's, yeah. If you can get away from it, even just one time on the other side, you'll find just the most glorious, beautiful things in the world. So anyway, I got to rambling right there. No, um, no, no. But, but it's work too. I mean, just so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not all unicorns and glitter and rainbows. Yeah. Like it took a lot of work to get to where you are, especially, I know you felt like you were doing two steps forward and then two steps back after yeah. your assault. So yeah. it, it was, it was, it you were I, I really broken and it broke my oh, yeah. heart to see where you were but i think you even mentioned a few times when we when we talked when we got together that not that you were thankful that it happened the assault happened but it opened your eyes to other things that you didn't even realize you discovered other mm -hmm. layers to your healing to you afterwards yeah i don't know if you remember talking about that yeah i mean you know, I carried a lot of resentment, you know, not just for what this person did to me, just for all of these things. Like so much, I carried so much ugly stuff with me because I didn't know how to offload it, not in a healthy, productive way. Right. And so, you know, I, you know, I remember, and Melinda, you probably remember this. It was right after we had coffee um, on a Saturday. And uh, I think it was the same day or maybe the next day I felt this overwhelming desire to call my ex-husband yes. and extend forgiveness to him because the weight of the assault exposed so much stuff that I hadn't processed, right? So much stuff that I hadn't thought through. Like my ex-husband really, really, really hurt me. Yeah. And he did it in ways that were so manipulative and, you know, it was kind of like the undercover abuse a little bit. Like it's not, it's not blatant to anybody else. You know, it, for me, it didn't become real abuse until he put his hands on me. Then it was like, Oh, wait a minute, this is wrong. But when he was controlling me and being super insecure and, you know, doing the 5 million other things that he, uh, did, you know, it, um, it, none of it, it didn't, it wasn't real yet. It, it didn't become real until he hit me. Um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, so anyway, so yeah, so we were talking about feelings that I could offload and people that I could forgive and ways that I could find a little bit of freedom because the burdens were just so heavy, especially after that box exploded with all of the stuff I compartmentalized. It really felt like I was drowning. And um, I was like, well, what are things that I can do now to try to work through some of the stuff? And one of them was forgiving my ex-husband. He's alive. He, you know, I don't know if he's doing better or not, but I knew that that was one person that I could extend the olive branch to. Could I have done it to my, for my daughter's dad? Absolutely not. He put me through too much shit. Could I have done it for uh, the person who raped me? No, he 
blocked me as soon as I called him out on what he did. You know, I didn't have people, right? The person who molested me, I haven't talked to that person in, you know, 30 years, right? So the, like I, the only person I could extend forgiveness to really was uh, Lavelle and my mom. Those are the two people. So Lavelle was the easiest one. So I just re reached out to him and I was like, listen, this is not a conversation where we're going to have two way. Like, I'm not interested in, in hearing what you, what you have to say. This is about me. I need to extend you forgiveness so that I can move on. I carry a lot of resentment in my heart towards you and I wish bad things happened to you. And that does not feel good to my spirit. And I was like, so I need to offload this. And I'm just going to say you showed up and were a great husband when my sister died. I said, and that was the one time in our six years together that you excelled as a husband. I said, and for that, I thank you. All the other stuff sucked and you were not a good husband. <laughs> and I just like spelled it out for him. And he was like, well, damn. And I'm just like, Hey bro, like, look, and he, he, and I said, I just need you. Like, I don't want to be your friend. I don't, we have, there's no chance that you and I will ever get back together. Um, I need you to move on, find your happiness and please leave me alone. Don't reach out to me. And just as calmly as he could, he said, out of respect for you, I can do that. And I haven't heard from him since. And I do feel a lot lighter. I don't drive down, drive past a street anymore and like have these overwhelming feelings of like stabbing him in the throat or anything. <laughs> you know, like, like none of that. Like I'm past all those feelings now. And now I, I really do hope that he finds happiness and sobriety, you know, because he battled alcoholism and right. I hope he can move on with his life because I want to, I need to, you know? Um, and then, you know, we going back and forth to your abuser is also very normal. I did that too. Like I went back to my daughter's father three or four times. Uh, you know, I went back to Lavelle two, two times, two or three times. I think there was back and forth. So don't beat yourself up. If you do that as part of the process, you know, yep, you, you, yep. You will know when it's time for you to leave for good. And we just, you know, we just encourage you to, to figure that out. Um, <laughs> Joe, I know I had some, some thoughts of inflicting harm. Yeah. I was a savage back in the day. I thought about that a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, I still think about inflicting harm. I just don't, I just don't do it very often. I just um, don't say it out loud. <laughs> right. Those are like thoughts that just roll around in my head occasionally. Like, <laughs> and then I snicker and smile a little bit. And somebody's like, why are you getting like, oh, nothing. Just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, <"Ooh." laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so there's that. Um, uh, but going back, I want to talk about how I got this apartment and I just want to tell you, I was going to ask you to do that. Awesome. How good God works. So, um, two things. So I've had these two really massive life-changing experiences, uh, it's since 2019. So in 2019, I was working for a job that I hated and I was so unfulfilled and I just wanted to find happiness. And so I started blindly applying for a lot, uh, nonprofit jobs because I knew I didn't want to work in corporate world anymore. It's just watching rich people get richer and poor people get poorer. And that does not feel good to me. So I started applying. I couldn't believe I got interviewed at this place. And I was like, I had to look them up like, Oh my God, this place is really the bomb. And so when I got offered the job, it was a significant pay cut. And I sat on that job offer for a week and I had decided that 
uh, I was going to decline the offer the following day, which was Friday, June 20th, and uh, decline the offer and stay where I was at because I couldn't afford a $10,000 pay cut. At least that's what I thought in my mind. So Thursday afternoon, I'm in the in the conference room having a nice glass of wine, living my best life. Like, woo, it's been a great day. I got all my work done. Woo, woo, woo. And then they're like, hey, uh, the regional office manager who was visiting from Ohio comes in. She says, hey, Brian, can can we chat for a second? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, can I bring my wine? She's like, of course. I'm like, great. So I'm bopping down the hallway with my wine glass. I do, 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 do. I'm like, where are we going? She's like, just down here. I'm like, great. Walk in there and I look and I'm like, this is the setup. And I'm like, am I being terminated? And she was like, yeah. I'm like, for what? And she's like, well, if you sit down, I'm like, and I slam my wine glass down. I'm like, do I need to listen to this? She's like, no. I said, I just want to go home. I just started crying. I was shocked. Couldn't believe I was losing my job. And in that moment, I forgot that I had this job offer, right? So that was the furthest from my mind in the moment. Then I went and stood at my desk and I looked around. I'm like, how am I going to get all my stuff home? And they're like, we'll pack it. And you can pick it up tomorrow. I'm like, oh, right. Just devastated. Right. And so I get to the elevator and then it all things like, like the elevator when when it gets to your floor, it's like ding. You're like it was it was like a, I don't know. It was like a symbol to my brain. It was like ding, and I was like oh. I turned around and I was I was like oh. I said I had a job offer I was going to decline. I said and apparently, the universe had other uh, other plans. plans. And so sorry I couldn't get the word plans out. <laughs> so I was like um, okay. So I accepted the job offer. I've now been here for seven years, and. I mean, four years. Yeah, because I remember. I remember you calling. You're like, you'll never guess what happened. Yes. And then it was so crazy. So anyway, I got this job, and everything that's happened since I've been at this job has been really in divine timing. Like the people I've met, the opportunities I've had. Like I could that could be a whole hour long story by itself. Oh, yeah. But it it was magical for me. Like truly, truly magical for me. What's happened in the last four years. And then all of this stuff happened with the assault and, and, and this. And then I made the decision that I needed to move. And I had looked at 10 to 12 apartments, had applied for two, was declined for both of those ones. I had gotten two potential tenants to rent my house. Both of them fell through. I was feeling very discouraged. And I'm like, I'm stuck here in this house forever. Like, I, like I'm never going to be able to like find happiness and, and like peace again. And then I swear like, like a, like a gift dropped from heaven above this man messaged me on Facebook messenger. And he was like, Hey, Brianne, uh, the application on this unit fell through. If you're interested, here's the link, check it out. Let me know if you want to see it. And I was like, click. And I looked and I was like, oh, that apartment is right on the lake. Like literally on the lake. I was like, huh? So I'm like, yeah, can I come see it today at two o'clock? He was like, sure. So I come, I bring, uh, my credit report, because I didn't have perfect credit. So I bring credit report, I bring everything that I need. And I'm completely transparent with him. Like, listen, this is beautiful. I don't have good credit. This is where I'm at. And he's like, okay, he's like, well, you know, give me everything you got. And so I did. And he's like, well, answer me this question. Why are you moving from your home in Maryville if you own it? And so I disclosed to him about my assault. And he was so kind. His name was Bill. He was the best. He was so kind and he looked at me. He's like, you know, what's so great about living in this unit. I was like, what's that? He's like, every day you're going to look out. He goes, and the lake is going to look like something different. He goes, there's going to be some days when you're not even going to recognize that you're in the Midwest. And 
I sat with that for a second and let it just kind of like marinate in my body. And I was like, yes. So this was on a Friday afternoon. And by Monday morning, I was signing my lease. There was no haggle. There was no him asking for more money in the security deposit. It just is what it is. I got to move in and it, it has been like, and I didn't look for this apartment. Like it, I had never talked to this person. There had never been any interaction. I don't know how he knew what I needed, but he knew exactly what I needed, where I needed it and when I needed it. And it was so brilliantly timed. And I am so grateful for God because he put this apartment in yeah, my lap. I get to wake up, man, I get to wake up every morning to the sunrise outside. Like it's, it doesn't get any better than that. And you know, I am reminded about how if you put in the effort to do the things, you'll be rewarded. And that comes back from a place of just survivor survivorship. The more you put into yourself, like forget doing for everybody else, right? Like let, let's, let's not even talk about that yet. The more you do for yourself, the greater you'll be blessed and then feel inspired to do for others. But you got to pour into yourself first. That's one of the things that I've learned. Being in this space where I'm really just sitting in an apartment, solo dolo. This is the first time in my entire life that I've lived on my own. With, without like anybody's support, without a roommate. I mean, I have a roommate, but it's this guy, you know, my rainbow dog. He's the best. But that's, this is. And I'm peaceful. Like I walk in here, I swear to God, Melinda, I walk in here every day and I stand at my little, like, you know, my little countertop, like chunk of countertop that I have over here. Yeah. And I, I sit and I stand in the kitchen looking into the living room out the windows. And I'm like, I have the most peaceful place ever. Like there's, there's no funky energy in here. There's no attitudes. There's no, it's like you walk in and you feel at peace. You're like, this is what's up. And it's such a blessing. And so I'm, again, I'm just reminded like how God works and in, in the work that I've done to, to take care of me. God somehow always seems to match that <laughs> and better. So, you know, I, I know I didn't get into the, the deepest depths of my story today, but I, I don't think that it's the time for that. I think it's the time for just knowing that there's something really beautiful on the other side. Like, I, I mean that I know Joe, Joe was talking about her farm story and, um, it's the same, right? Her and I have, have very, uh, our journeys are, are similar, you know, things come to you when they're supposed to come to you. Um, and you got to focus on taking care of yourself. And that's one thing that I've resisted. So, you know, so for the last few minutes, let's talk about, about the truth of survivorship. Every day is not going to be rainbows and butterflies. It's just not, you know, I, for me, I, I'm in the middle of this healing journey. This EMDR has brought out so much stuff, so many emotions, so much, so many un, I don't even, so many old, old, old emotions and just things and, and garbage and junk and, and baggage, right? All of this old stuff has come forward and it has, I, there's days where I have felt like I have been being punished. There are days when I feel like my body is completely shutting down. Melinda knows I was in the hospital in July after my first EMDR session. We did 30 seconds of processing and it put me in the hospital for two days. Um, 
I mean, it was crazy. Right. And so those are those days when you're like, this is hard. This is impossible. I'm never going to make it. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because it it feels like defeat, but those it's not defeat. Those are obstacles. Those are hurdles. Think about all the things when we step into a, a journey of survivorship, think of all the things that we have to overcome, right? We have to find strength within us that typically has been completely robbed from us where we have none of that. You have to build all that strength up at some point. You got to muster it. You got to find it somewhere, right? So there's that, right? You have to be smart. So you have to really turn on your brain power and like, you you know, a lot of us have had concussions. So our brains don't work as fresh as some of the others, but you have to be able to pull enough brain power together to come up with a plan, right? right? Like, and this is every day that you have to just keep thinking about all of the struggles. Like yesterday I thought I was going to lose my mind and I was going, I wasn't going to be able to make it. And I, and I almost just gave up. And then you wake up the next morning, it's a new day. You get a chance to start all over again. And you remind yourself of how far you've come every day. So for me, the thing that keeps me in a place of constant survivorship and trying to get away from that victimhood is gratitude. The more grateful you are, or even the smallest things, the most grateful you are, the easier it is to keep pushing. Yes. Thank you for that. Because there are so many women and we are in the survivors cafe as well. There are, unfortunately, there are some there that it doesn't matter what you say or what advice you give them to get out or to make that, that healing journey. Yeah. There's always an excuse. They're still locked in that victimhood. And you are definitely one of those people and Joe are just a bright star of showing that you're doing the work. It's hard. You even share those hard days and you're very transparent to say, you know what, this sucks. I just had a session and it sucks. Or I just had to put boundaries down and and somebody in and I'm feeling emotional because, or, you know, I'm feeling crappy because I had to do that, but you're doing it. And you even say, I'm doing it because I need to for me. Mm-hmm. I have to do it for me and have to put me first. Yeah. And that's the hardest part is choosing yourself is that that is literally the hardest thing you'll do because it feels selfish, but it's not like, how good are you to anyone when you're not good to yourself? Right. Ooh, right. Yeah. Like you have to pour so much who, if you're, if you're filling everybody else's cup, who's filling yours? Like, you know, you're just draining from you to fill in other people, fill up other people. And then you're just left to feel empty at the end of it. And that's not fair. So what I was trying to say before I get sidetracked, because apparently that's what I do, is I was resisting all of those healthy coping skills. Like I was resisting all the things that would make me feel better and pull me out of that state of victimhood. So that's kind of where I was getting stuck. I just like, I'm so used to being a victim. Like I've lived my whole life this way. It's comfortable for me, right? It's comfortable for a lot of people because we're so used to dysfunction and, and the thought of true and actual happiness. That's scary Mm -hmm. because you're and it's, and it's going from one extreme to another. Right. And that's, that's frightening. So for me, I had to, I have, have to constantly daily, remind myself that I am a survivor, get out of this victimhood, Bree, whatever's on the other side is going to be way, way, way better. And I'm reminded of that by the way that God has showed up in my life, right? 
I have this apartment that was dropped in my lap. I have this job that I was forced to take because I was going to throw it away. You know, so just remember you have those, those things will come. You just have to remember, like, there's going to be really, really, really difficult days. Just remember the, the, those triumphant moments that you have and let those be your anchor and hold on to those. Because those are the things that are going to propel you to the next place and propel you to the next place. No matter you have 20,000 obstacles in one day, you're going to have 30,000 cheat codes the next. So just know that we, we got this. And I'm, you know, whoever's watching this, I'm so proud of you um, for just showing up in this space, for showing up to Melinda's podcast, which we all know just she's so special in this regard. Um, and just. You know, I'm always going to give you your flowers here. You know, I love you, Melinda. Um, just, just know, like, we're all a safe space for you here. Um, we love you. You are a survivor. You will thrive. You will find the joy on the other side. Trust me, this is the one time when I'll say it. The grass is totally greener on the other side. And there's beautiful lakes and oceans and, and sunrises and sunsets on the other side, too. And you might even get a rainbow sometimes. Not as often as we want, but they're there. Yes. I promise. And for the rainbow, I'm going to give you your rainbow smile for the day. Hey, Zeus. Hey, come here. Come on. Come here. He's like, I don't want to, Mom. <laughs> so, Hi, Zeus. Look at the handsome is boy into world. Wait, you guys got to see his tail. Hold on, hold on. He's get so your cute. tail out from underneath. Look at the tail. <laughs> <laughs> so... Rainbows. I get rainbows every day because I have the most attractive, handsomest puppy in the world. But you know, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I'll share him with you if you ever want to borrow him. He's the best. He's potty trained. He doesn't talk back. You know, all the good things. <laughs> well, I do have Mr. Buttons. Oh yes, yes. yes. You have a you have a Mr. Buttons. Mr. Buttons, a beautiful little Chihuahua. Yes. <laughs> you have to you have to bring him on screen. I I don't think I've ever seen your dog. Oh, I don't think you have. No, right. Well, right now he's not going too far away from my our other dog. She's a puppy. She's a year old. Oh, and she's yeah. in heat, so I won't say anything more. And he's a boy, so yeah, he's like loving on her right now. I'll, that, I that's the clean you. way of saying it. <laughs> Hey, you know, get it how you get it how you live. <laughs> yes. Oh, one last thing before I get off of here. Um, okay. And I'll just talk a little bit about what me and Melinda are up to. So we are uh, part of a survivor council. Um, the first in the state of Indiana. Uh, the first of its kind. So um, you'll be hearing a lot more about us, uh, over the coming weeks, months. Um, but I am, I will just say that I'm honored. Uh, first of all, I'm honored to be in this woman's life. Um, that's number one, you, Melinda, um, oh, cry. Cause we didn't cry in the story. So I'm going to get you some tears real fast. Um, first of all, I love that I've met you and you've just been one of the greatest blessings of my life. So I thank you for that. Um, number two, I love that we get to serve together yes. on this survivors council where we really will get to impact others who are coming out of that state of victimhood into this survivor role. Um, what a blessing that will be to work alongside you and, and these other beautiful people 
um, to have that impact. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you for creating the space uh, for, for me and for others. And just thank you for being you. I just really do love you oh, so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. For all, the, for all the sappy people watching. I love her. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're, we're with uh, the St. Jude House. It's the Survivor Council, and I'm just so excited to be a part of that. I really am. And it's um, it's something that's much needed. It really is much needed and um, that we are able to help and reach out to other survivors or other, we're going to call them all survivors, you know, even yeah. if you're still with that abuser, like Ryan says, you know, you're, yeah. you're in survivor, survivor dumb. Yes. Yes. So beautiful, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I have been showing your links down and it's in the comments. If anybody would like to reach out to Brie, you are welcome to do so. Send her a message, find her on social media. And, and that video, one minute, that video is so powerful. That is your story mm -hmm. via St. Jude House. And yeah. uh, it is very powerful. Please check it out on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've watched it several times and um, it just takes my breath away. It really does. Mm -hmm. It really it's, does. It's crazy when you think about it, like where I was at in that video, yes. not being honest about what I was experiencing with my husband. And then obviously now knowing what happened that night of that, that uh, event, you know, it's so it's crazy because I feel like people are only getting a bit of the story, but story just doesn't end. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it continues to evolve and change. And, you know, our, our job is to really um, just put one foot in front of the other every day yes. and stay positive. That's all we can do. Oh, well, thank you so very much for sharing it. This was kind of an impromptu thing and I'm just so yeah. grateful. Thank you. Thank you that uh, you were able to share your story again. So we are going to be on the podcast. I've got to download it and do some magic. It'll also be on Instagram and a little bit on TikTok. So if you found any value in this, please do me a favor and share Bree's story really and truly, or again, reach out to her. She's yeah. more than happy to hold space for you. So thanks for watching. God bless you and stay safe. Bye. Bye-bye.